Welcome to the Greyhound Girl podcast with your host, Dimity Ma. Don't forget, you can follow her on Facebook at The Greyhound Girl. On this episode of the podcast, I catch up with talented Victorian race caller Kyle Galley to have a chat about what made him want to become a race caller, some helpful tips for anyone looking to pick up the microphone, and of course, some of his favourite memories throughout his calling career. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let me back to the start and tell me what made you want to become a race caller? Uh, that's a really difficult question to answer i can tell you probably why i did well i can tell you how it came about but as to actually why i chose race calling i don't know um (laughs) there's a family involvement uh on both sides um i can actually tell you well on my father's side uh so it's his or one of my cousins is david fowler the brisbane commentator yeah uh, thoroughbreds harness etc but uh he wasn't really an influence on me i knew of him growing up um but i didn't sort of follow in the family footsteps because david was a caller i was going to become a caller too um so his father and my gran uh were cousins so he's my uh third cousin if, if that makes sense i suppose yeah so We've had, uh, you know, we've spoken on the phone and that sort of thing, and obviously he was aware of me. Uh, he was well established by the time I came along, but aware of me and and me of him. So there is a family connection there, um, but the direct influence on in racing and my exposure to racing was through mum's side. Um, my grandfather trained greyhounds. He had greyhounds back in the early seventies when mum was growing up, and uh, won a lot of races in the Gippsland region here. Yeah. Uh, they didn't live in Gippsland. They lived uh, in a place called Harkaway, which is near Berwick, uh, which is out of suburbs of Melbourne now. It was all farmland in those days. So that would be probably 15 kilometres from Cranbourne, so in that uh, area, Cranbourne and Narry Warren area. And then uh, his best dog at that time was a dog that the old-timers in, in Gippsland would remember called Torado Bell. She won about 30-odd races and ran in a Sale Cup, Geelong Cup, Warrigal Cup, that sort of thing. Um, she only ever had a couple of runs in town, interesting, as, as a really young dog and never raced in town again for some reason. I don't know why, uh, but won a lot of races out here in the country. And then uh, he, they retired, uh, my grandparents, and then they moved to Yarrigan, which is in Gippsland here in the mid-70s. Uh, so that's how our family came to be in this area. Uh, which is near Warrigal, and then in the late 80s he was, I suppose, pottering around and uh, got in contact with a couple of people and decided to get back into the dogs again. And that was when uh, I would have been about seven years old, six or seven years old at that time, so that's when my uh, exposure to the sport started, I suppose. We started going to the Greyhounds once or twice a week to the trials and to Warrigal and Sandown and Cranbourne and Sale, and I suppose I thought, gee, this is all right, how good's this, <laughs> uh, at that right age, and then came home and started uh, running imaginary race meetings in the backyard and <laughs> ended up being the race caller and haven't really stopped since, I suppose. Yeah, nice. Tell me about the – do you remember your first race you ever called? Uh, yes. What happened was, as I say, I used to sort of run the imaginary races in the yard and the phantom calls and that, and then that progressed 
to over the back fence behind mum and dad's, which is all houses now. It was paddocks in those days and used to be imaginary race meetings and all that sort of thing. So I would have been, my first one of those, I would have started that when I was seven. So we're talking 1989. So I suppose I was calling in the 80s, technically. Um, but my start in racetrack calling was when I was 14. Yep. So I'd been doing the phantom calls probably four or five years and um, had a cassette tape and just did a couple of those on tape and I sent uh, two tapes off, <clears throat> one to um, a chap named Brian Markovic who was uh, the number one harness caller at the time but was sort of stepping back from harness and was moved into thoroughbreds and he used to call the harness racing at Warrigal and Tarelgan uh, in those days and the races at Mowie, so in our local area here. And I wrote to him at 3EZ in Melbourne and he wrote a handwritten letter back and also wrote to Peter Eustace, who was our Gippsland commentator here in Sale. And Peter wrote back and said, look, they have these things at Tarelgan called the qualifying trials or the qualies, which were after the races. And if you ran in the first two or three, you got to come back and run in the final of the maiden at the tab meeting next week, which we'd had dogs go through those and all that. So he said, why don't you come up? There's another young fellow who's just starting to call those. He said, I'm sure he'd give you a go at calling one or two. Why don't you come up and have a look one Friday night? So I did that. And uh, that fellow's name was Andrew Patterson. And some people might know uh, Pato. He called a few tab meetings and sort of understudied Rob Tester a bit in the 90s and 2000s and ended up becoming really successful as a professional punter. Yep. Um, one of the top uh, at, uh, at that level uh, as well with uh, various people working for him and mathematician, all that sort of thing, and really top bloke uh, as well. So he let me call a couple of races that night. And that was in uh, July 1996, so that was the first time I spoke into a microphone, was at uh, Terrelgan. So, uh, yeah, I was 14 years old, and the following Saturday he had something else on, and there was a set of trials at sale. So I uh, did my first call one week and did my first meeting the next week. Yeah, so nice. Nice. Yeah. Is it sort of, you know, I know it doesn't obviously get any easier, but, you know, it, it obviously requires a lot of concentration, doesn't it, when you're calling dogs because, you know, it's over so quickly and, you know, you can miss, you know, things happen all of a sudden, dogs can go everywhere and, yeah, so is it, have you found it's got any easier or is it still sort of, you know, you're still like a little bit on edge and that sort of thing and, you know, you really got to hone in on your concentration prior to a race? Um, yeah, on edge, definitely. If anything, I probably I probably didn't teach myself the right way early on. There's little things that I do now, and, and I sort of think I never stop learning. Like, I'm not one who will stand here and say, oh, you can't teach me how to improve, you know, I'm the best around or whatever like that. I still come home from the night and think, geez, I didn't do that well, wasn't happy with that. Um, so there's still rough edges that i probably a bit lazy about and don't knock off. Um on edge, yeah, sort of um, easily flustered at times, I suppose, get nervous, things like that. Like I've called half a dozen group ones and, you know, they're the best part about those. Like I love doing them, but the best part about them is when they've crossed the line and you can relax and breathe a bit. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't even have a dog that runs in them. But um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's sort of, uh, you know, I, I sort of, I've never been one to pump myself up really too, but uh, as a caller, um, when I'm good, I'm pretty good, but I do have my moments. Um, so, yeah, I think you sort of never stop learning. And, 
if you didn't get nervous, it probably wouldn't be a little bit natural, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of those um, Group Ones, does one of those in particular stand out as one of you know your favourite races that you've caught, or is there something else? Uh, well, the Group Ones have been well. The Group Ones is the Sale Cup. Uh, the, the plenty of the group and listed races and that sort of thing, like the or well, the Sale Cup. That's where that was my first meeting at Sale uh, all those years ago as a fourteen-year-old, and we used to go to Sale, and our dogs won a lot of races at Sale. So that's sort of the favourite track, I suppose. Um, you know, when I was seven or eight years old, I used to stand on the brick fence near the finish line and watch our dogs race, and the brick fence is still there, and it's directly in front of the broadcast box. So never did I imagine ever that. One day I'll be up in there calling a sale cup or that sort of thing. So um, to look out the window and see that uh, where I used to stand at seven, eight, nine years old and now working up the top. So probably the sale cups, they would be the one. Um, the Warrigal Cup's sort of been, I suppose, a special race too because that's the closest track and I'm only about 15 or 20k away from Warrigal too and I've probably done the most of those. I think I've done about six or seven as well. But things like yep. the Warrigal St Ledge is a good race. I uh, did my first Terrelgan Cup this year, so that was a long time coming as well. Yep, yep, yeah, nice. And you'd be wrapped, obviously, that sales back up and running. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's the longest drive uh, that I do because uh, I'm 15 minutes from Warrigal, half an hour from Terrelgan, and sales just over an hour. But it's sort of far enough away. It's sort of like going on a little uh, road trip sort of thing. It's, uh, it's a different sort of environment up there too, I reckon. It's you... Like we, as kids, holidayed in Marimbula and that sort of thing a lot, which is um, obviously south coast of New South Wales. So once you hit the highway and you hit it up through Sale, Bairnsdale Lakes entrance, you're on your way to a fun time on holidays. And even just going to Sale these days, it's sort of, yeah, it's a bit of a road trip and it's a good crew up there. It's really good atmosphere. It's probably the biggest country crowd of the week, week in, week out for Sunday night up there. And it's just something special about it. So, yeah. Terrific. Yeah, nice. In your opinion, you know, do you have a, a favourite dog or the best dog you've ever seen, whether you've called them or not? Who's sort of like your goat, as um, people throw, throw that term around now? Um, yeah, I sort of most of the ones that I do or traditionally done, you sort of might catch one or two good ones very early on when they win their maidens and that sort of thing. Um, and then you might strike them in the cup heats or things like that. But uh, as a kid, I was lucky enough to actually witness Bold Truce race and, and our two dogs, which were uh, Pebbles Beach and Pelican Bell, my grandfather had those, they were among the best stayers of their era and they both beat Bold Truce in town, uh, which was no mean feat in those days. I mean, he won four Sandown Cups, endless group one races and is considered, you know, an immortal dog from those people around at that time. So I was lucky enough as a kid to, to stand at Olympic Park and Sandown and watch Bold Truce race. So as a... A seven or eight year old, you know, a greyhound like him had a, a huge impact. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Is um, is there a race that you'd love to to call one day if you had the opportunity? Um, gee, good question. Um, I'll have to think about that one. Oh, uh, from yeah, I don't know. See, my other background is in harness racing. I've been heavily involved here at Warrigal, our local club, for. Oh, I started calling the trials there when I was 14 and still do that today. So, And I'm 43 now, so I've been there a little while. <laughs> um, I've had the opportunity to call the Warrigal Pacing Cup and knocked it back. I've been to the last 25 straight or something like that and covered oh, wow. all those in the local paper and that sort of thing. You know, I called, Phantom called one of those in the box there when I was about 15. So 
I had the chance to do it this year, but I knocked it back because I'm too heavily involved downstairs with photography, um, MC work, etc., etc. Yeah. And it's just too hard to get up and downstairs and that sort of thing. So I suppose if that was one that I could do, I'd like to do it. But um, as I say, I know my place on race day. I'm needed downstairs being part of the committee and that. We've got a really good team there. We all sort of work together to organise and all volunteers and that sort of thing. But um, maybe from a... I suppose you'd have to say Melbourne Cups, Australian Cups, but I get too nervous. I worried about it too much for the week. <laughs> <laughs> With the um, Group 1s, I write down the names of the dog on a piece of paper, which I do for races anyway, just so I've got name and number. Like, I know the colours. I don't need to remember. Oh, hang on, what's eight? Yeah, it's pink. That's right. But you know, get the coloured textures out and just mark a pink dot, red dot beside them and that. And I sit that in the car and I drive around all week and I rehearse those names so they're in my head on race night for that one group, one race, so I don't have to look away at the bit of paper because that's when I'll miss something. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's getting back to earlier, one of my not so much weakness but is just trying to memorise all those names. Like, you know what they are. But I've watched guys from the ground level at racetracks, you know, callers and that. And you'll see that footage of people like Matt Hill in the commentary box at Mooney Valley where his just eyes are in the glasses and all those names are in his head. Occasional look at a book, but he's just got all that in there. I'm not at that stage. I should have taught myself to do that in the beginning as well as some breathing techniques and things like that. But um, everybody's different. I also think that... Um, you know, as I said earlier, growing up, like, I, I didn't really model myself on anybody, but um, the legendary Bill Collins, well, he was from Trafalgar, which is the next town along from Yarrigan, and then grew up in Maui, which is the next town after Trafalgar. And my grandfather worked with Bill Collins as well uh, early days in one of the department stores. So he was an idol growing up. Yep. But at the same time... Um, you need to develop your own thing. And I can listen to callers and I can hear other callers in them and, and that's fine, but you, I think you need to sort of be yourself. Um, so, you know, growing up I had people that I sort of uh, listened to, uh, people like Rob Tester obviously as well, called a lot of race winners around this way too and, and things, but um, yeah, you sort of develop your own style and uh, as well as far as calling is concerned. But they all say that the Australians are the best in the world, and that's right, as, as race callers we certainly are. That's really interesting what you said, um, going back to what you said about the breathing techniques and that sort of thing. Like, that's something I never would have. But, you know, when you think about it, if you're calling a Melbourne Cup or something like that, you can't be out of breath after, you know, <laughs> the first, say, 1,000 metres or something. <laughs> yeah, true. I do, you know, 99% of my work is greyhounds, so... Um, you know, you take I take a deep breath before the boxes open and then, you know, if it's a 600-metre race, I might make about 550 or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but uh, it's a totally different kettle of fish to going back to harness and harness racing, which I've just done a harness racing meeting. You know, about every six or 700 metres, you've got to sort of reach for the, the air, I suppose, or something like that. So it's um, – but, again, that's a little thing that I should have – taught myself better as a teenager, I suppose, to try and get that. But some people can talk for five or six minutes, not even race callers, just people can talk for five or six minutes without needing to take a breath either. And uh, yeah, yeah, I really admire me. that. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> that's Dad and I on the Sunday one. We don't take a breath. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> What's, um, so for, uh, obviously, you know, it, it, 
well, from my perspective, just talking to people, it's not a, you know, I, I get young kids and youngsters saying to me, oh, you know, I want to be a, a trainer or, you know, an owner or something like that. It's not typical that I get them say they want to be a race caller. But from your perspective, I mean, I, I can only imagine, you know, it'd be quite, you know, euphoric when you know, like you said before, when you've nailed a race and you're like, yep, I did a really, really good call of that. And, you know, it's over and you, you can relax. I can only imagine that's such a good feeling. Yeah, certainly some races you sort of think afterwards, oh, I'll be happy to share that replay and that sort of thing, whereas others you sort of think, oh, I wasn't very good at that. Um, so, yeah, it's like, once again, though, the, the experts often say that this is something that can't be taught either. So, I mean, in my, um, well, let's say 27 years of calling on track, um, I've run into probably... Oh, I've run into really zero people in this region that want to be to become a race caller, I suppose. But I've run into probably count on one hand the amount of people who've been practicing at a track at the same time as well. So it's not it's something that people would like to have a crack at. And there's probably a lot of people out there actually. It's a bit like singers, I suppose. There's probably a lot of people out there who have never thought about it, but would be really good at it, but just never was the furthest thing from their minds, I suppose. So, um, but. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things too that people seem to find really interesting. I don't know why. Um, for people who do this all the time, I mean, I can call thirty six, forty eight races a week, and it's to me, it's like a hobby. Um, you know, some people collect stamps or that sort of thing. Well, I call races, <laughs> and for most of my time, it was really just a little bit of cash in hand or a love job or that sort of thing. I mean, I as I said, I started in ninety six on my first. Uh, on air broadcast was in 2008 and my first race meeting was in about 2010 as an on air broadcaster so I did serve a pretty decent apprenticeship yep didn't really push myself either very reserved uh, individuals so never really pushed myself either probably could have got a lot further than I have uh, if I had have marketed myself and it wasn't really a marketing era either like we didn't have YouTube and TikTok and all that sort of thing uh, that we have now but um, having said all that I'm happy just calling tab Thursday and Tuesday Greyhound meetings at Warrigal and Sundays at sale so I you know if you ever got the opportunity to call group races in town which I have done one on so far I would do it but as I said I'd, I'd really um overanalyze it all week in the lead up to it but hopefully i do a good job at it but i'm happy just to turn up and call the tab country meetings because they're the ones i'm familiar with and it's sort of second nature i've done hundreds and hundreds of them i suppose i did about 200 of them last year so it keeps you pretty busy but um you'd like to think after doing that many you might be uh reasonably good at it too i suppose (laughs) (laughs) yeah no definitely no i agree um like so is will practice make you better and help you learn more like you said you obviously learned you know what what you do right and what things you can improve on you know for any you know young budding caller out there is that the best thing whether it's um you know I've spoken to other race callers on here and they've said you know they've called off tv or off youtube or something like that gone to trials is that is that the way to go do you think absolutely yeah you can never stop practicing um in my era, I can say it now because I've been around long enough, it was videotapes, you know, the, the old dog <laughs> races we had on videotape. Yeah. Because I sort of come in in the era between um, when the races used to be on on TV down this way on a Saturday and then before Sky, uh, the home Sky came in, all you got was a couple of races 
you know, from Mooney Valley or something, the legs of the double on Wide World of Sport and that sort of thing. That's all you saw for racing for the week. So it was literally just, I'll get the dog tape out and do it again or I'll stand on the back fence and call the imaginary races in the backyard. But then I went to a lot of race meetings too. Um, used to knock off school and wander down the hill to the Warrigal trots and that sort of thing. And we had harness trials at Warrigal every second Sunday in those days with 30 or 40 horses go around. Um, and then, yeah, went to Maui races and Warrigal dogs because there were spare boxes there. Um, and then we had non-tab meetings, you know, and quali trials. Like as a probably 17-year-old, I suppose, I might have been doing anywhere up to 25 to 30 race meetings a year just yep. with non-tab uh, things and never got into the gallops really but went to Maui a few times and that sort of thing. And, and yeah, take those opportunities like there are spare boxes in the city I'm sure still um, things change at the country meetings where rooms get renovated and that sort of thing and things get pulled down but um, you can still go you know to trials and things like that the non-tab meetings all sort of dried up they don't have those now with Sky and everything on the tab and things like that but the other thing too is just to reach out to guys you know like I was lucky when I sort of grew up to pop my head in and speak to people like Greg Miles and Brian Marker because I said Peter Eustace and that used to sit up in the box with Peter uh, while he did the last couple before the qualies came on and that and everybody's really approachable as well yeah and nowadays with um, as we say like the internet it, it was there but we didn't have it on at home in in my era I suppose as well but you can jump on and and call any number of replays and things like that but the key to that I think is that it's a replay so you might not have seen it before but it is you only see what the replay shows so if the cameraman you know if the dogs go wide on the turn the cameraman goes wider you might not see too many of them so there's no substitute for getting out to the track and actually calling that race live yep with the sun in your eyes with the rain <laughs> belting on top of you that sort of thing with them going behind the post at the 200 metre mark and all that sort of thing as well. But, you know, not many people go to the races, some of these meetings now, so there's plenty of quiet spots to sort of get around and, and barrier trials and things like that with the horses and that. But, yeah, there's no substitute for actually uh, calling the live thing, even from sitting on the roof of the car maybe or something like that. <laughs> and even, you know, things like football or sport, anything like that. Um, you might never call a football match, but you might um, – be interested in, in going along and doing a bit of stuff like that. And the other thing I sort of fell into as well in this area was community radio. So I ended up, um, you know, presenting breakfast for about five or six years on our local station here, just playing music and reading out ads for local charities and putting the news to air and reading the weather and all that sort of thing as well. So, yep. you know, they're always looking for people, particularly young people who are enthusiastic and, and want to get involved as well. So anything that you can get your voice to and these days with, you know, you can have a YouTube account, you can have a Facebook page and Instagram, you can set the camera up in a spare room in front of the curtains and that and, and do anything. You can introduce your own phantom calls on with a video before you call and all that sort of thing, which was just too hard to do back in my day with, um, you know, you'd have to buy a video camera and, and then... Uh, all that sort of thing. But now with, with the internet, you could do basically everything through your phone, I suppose. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, now, I get a lot of people saying that they want me to interview people that, you know, have got some sort of idea about form and, you know, can help them tip, tip them into a winner and that sort of thing. But, yeah, when you're doing your tips, you know, is there anything in particular that, you know, you like to look for with it, you know, whether it's a dog's, um, you know, early speed or, or racing traits or characteristics that, you know, hopefully will help people find a winner? Um, well, I know of some of the guys who might do anywhere up to four or five hours of form study videos, replays, and that. Um, I, I mean, this for me is a casual role, uh, and always has been. So I've always had a career to fall back on, and I've, I've worked in admin and, and things like that, and, and still do. So sometimes you'll be caught short for time, particularly if you're doing four four meetings straight or something like that, and you'll be marking the form guiding tea breaker after you come home from work and that sort of thing so yeah i probably don't do it justice as much but i will look at um a particular provider's betting market the night before which comes up at 6 p.m the night before i will have a look um well beforehand you know the guide gets printed out when the box draw comes out and that sort of thing yeah um and we are asked to supply five selections for a race so first second third fourth fifth in case of a scratching yeah um so i will sort of narrow those eight runners down to five obviously taking note of reserves that might be worth a, a show if they get a start then looking at that market as close to six as I can yep. uh, and then reviewing that, you know, perhaps later in the evening and that sort of thing and just looking at things like um, yeah, experience of the dog at the track or that sort of thing or, um, you know, if it's first up or where it's raced in recent starts and that sort of thing, uh, you know, as you know, it might have been free for all over 400 at Warrigal and it's dropping back to grade five over 395 at Terrelgan. But, We've obviously got three main racetracks in this region and they're really three different ones because we've got the big, long straights at Warrigal, the more turning track at Sale, and we've got the unique track at yeah. Terrelgan, which is um, something totally different as well from a form perspective. It's like Hillsville with a, a curve on the end of it. So, you know, you sort of there's a lot of things to factor in, I suppose, as well. But um, I certainly like to look at the market movers too, so... You know, even reviewing those markets again first thing in the morning to see, and and we see, you know, something's three twenty into two forty overnight. Well, and it's a local dog. You know, there's obviously a good push for it, so it's got to go into the tips, and and then your scratchings as well. So I don't submit my tips till after scratching, so that um, you know, if that reserve does get in, and yep. is one of the top two or three when it starts, it's in the tips as well. But uh, um, yeah, tipping is sort of is sort of not my strongest point. You know, if I can come away with four or five winners for the night, then that's good. Most of them will be favourites. Occasionally, there's one at five or six to one or something like that. Yep. But um, I put my tips on my Facebook page, and a few of the wags locally get stuck in and have a go, and that sort of thing. <laughs> they reckon I'm a handbrake a bit, but uh... <laughs> aren't we all? <laughs> we all have our moments. It's all right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I, I'd never thought that a, a dog's um, experience had come from tipping rather than training ability, but yeah. uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you learn something new every day. Oh, dear. No, definitely, definitely right. I mean, yeah, I, my advice sort of people is, you know, try not to um, – oh, look, if you can, great, but maybe try and stick to a track 
um, you know, maybe a couple of tracks that you're familiar with, because I said you'll learn the dogs that sort of, um, you know, race around there more often, and um, yeah, it might just help you learn how certain dogs race and that there, and at least it's a bit of a starting point rather than trying, you know, back a winner all over Australia, but hey, if you're tipping five or six winners on a car, that's that's not bad, a lot of people would like to do that for sure. Well, some nights there's one, you know, but there might be, I think there was about 10 meetings in a row where the first race tipped one. So, I mean, that's just, you know, you can't predict that. But um, I will say that down here um, in Victoria through our RSN uh, racing station, they've started doing some really good things with all three codes, actually, with expert analysis on air on race days. So you'll you'll tune in, you'll get the expert analysis before the first race at Maui today and that sort of thing, and then the quaddy picks and post-race analysis, and that's been really kicking some goals with uh, the greyhounds as well. Yep, yeah, So good. you can hear that. I think it's most nights of the week. Certainly the ones that I'm most attuned with is um, Sunday nights, uh, which is Happy Hammond, who's, uh, when I was talking about putting in the, the time into the form study, you know, he can be doing anywhere from four to five hours worth of form study replays and all that sort of thing and, um, you know, lobbing with a $9 winner here and there and that sort of thing and, and the other guys that have been doing some um, some good things too. So that's sort of an, an enhancement to the coverage down here as well, which has been really great. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Greyhound Girl podcast and for your ongoing support of not only this podcast but of Greyhound Racing in general. Remember, you can follow Dimity at the Greyhound Girl on Facebook.